Oh, I love this church. I love what God's doing in this church. I used to use a phrase, it went something like this, that I'm bullish on Fox Valley Church. And when I say things like this, uh, that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate and love other life-giving churches. God has blessed our area with so many life-giving churches, and we should all be excited about these different churches and different ministries of God's work right here through the power of His Spirit changing lives all over our area. Well, as many of you know, we've been online last week and this week, and obviously one of the things people are asking is, you know, what, what's really happened at Fox Valley Church? Is it 10 people or is it 110 people that have tested positive with COVID-19? So what I'd like to do is bring us into the story of what's happened at Fox Valley Church as best as I can tell, we've reviewed all the people that registered online, and uh, some of you know not everybody registers, and uh, so we don't always have a complete list. And then imagine this, some people register and then attend a slightly different service time. So that happens, but as best as we know, we have some good lists. Uh, we've talked to a lot of people this week and uh, tried to understand, because last week when I announced it, we only had a couple days, talked to some, but now we have a better picture, and let me just uh, bring you into that picture. Roughly 45 to 48 people tested positive uh, with COVID-19. Now, when we look at this group of people, we also went back and said, okay, where did they attend, what service, and what was happening? And as we looked at this, we recognized that about half the people attended the mass required service at 9 o'clock and about half attended the mask optional. In other words, it was split down the middle. If you do some percentage and you like some math, it would throw perhaps a little bit of a stronger percentage, amazingly, at the mask required service partly because that was uh, lower attendance in that service. So I'm trying to give you a picture of what's happened, but even this is not a total picture because there's people in Fox Valley Church that I talked to this past week and others have talked to that tested positive, but were not at our service on May 9th, on Mother's Day. And so we do see things happening in our area, things happening with the spread of COVID-19 uh, even outside of Fox Valley Church. But let me throw another wrinkle in here too. Many of you know this, is that these vaccines are about 95% effective, and I'm speaking mostly of Pfizer and also Moderna, but that means 5% of this rate is possible people will contract COVID, and that's exactly what we have seen as well, is that a number of people that were fully vaccinated, that means they received both shots, and they went two weeks after the second shot, some of those people have told us that they tested positive for COVID-19. So we see different things happening. Roughly one out of 20 people will test positive for COVID even after being fully vaccinated. Now, all of this concerns the elders. This has been a significant time uh, for the past year and a half. The elders have been praying. We've been wrestling with how to move forward. We want to move forward with care and caution. And we recognize that there's a lot of challenges in doing this. And I'll comment in just a moment on that part. But let me just say this, because I think this is an important part of Fox Valley Church, is a number of people had symptoms of COVID that never tested. So we know that the number I just gave 
is probably not totally accurate to the numbers of people that actually carry the virus. Inside of this, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but I think it will give a little bit of a picture. And the reason I'm hesitant to say what I'm going to say is I don't want to diminish in any way any pain, suffering, a hardship that people have experienced at Fox Valley Church. But let me try to put it into a perspective. If you go from 1 to 10, 1 being people with very minimal symptoms, maybe a slight cough, maybe a tickle in the throat, and 10 being hospitalized and, and very seriously hospitalized. Let me tell you that roughly 98, 99% of the people have tested move into this category of a one or a two, possibly a three. There are some people, and I don't want to diminish anyone's suffering or pain, like I said, have moved to slightly higher numbers, maybe a four or a five. By God's grace and by his power, I cannot say that I know of anybody that is anywhere near a seven, eight, or nine. So I know these are relative numbers, but it gives you a little bit of what's happened at Fox Valley Church. Now, what's complicated this, I talked to the health department this week, had several long conversations, but to give you a little bit of a complicating factor is that people experience things like a tickle in the throat, maybe a little bit of a cough, and they thought, well, it was just allergies and ended up testing positive for COVID. Some people thought they just had a slight cold. And living in the Chicago area, if you have a slight cold, usually you don't isolate and refrain. Now, if you're hacking and coughing, yeah, you should, even in the Chicago area, pull away. But what happened was people just thought these were just cold symptoms or allergies, and they didn't take precaution. So let me just ask Fox Valley Church, as we move through this pandemic, after talking to the health department, one additional step we could take is, again, encourage our body that if you have even minimal symptoms of things out of the ordinary, normally you don't have a cough and you have one, or maybe a scratchy throat, or even something a little bit more, stay home. Stay home at this time and watch the live stream. We want to encourage people to do this. I know it is a very complicated time. We're encouraging that. By the way, we have taken the steps. I shared this with the health department. We have half the seating capacity still in both our services, mask required, mask optional. There's spacing, there's distancing, there's all these different options. Now, let me share one more complicating factor. And this is very hard for Fox Valley Church, but it's again why I'm so bullish on Fox Valley Church and why I'm excited about our body is we have, as many churches do in our area and our country, is there's very different views of what's happening. You have one perspective that is out there that's focused more on the medical side, the science side, they keep reading, they keep digesting that, and then there's other people that are more skeptical and suspicious and wondering about other elements as they too read and listen to the science and medical field. But these two spheres of people, these two perspectives are not coming together. The elders have wrestled and prayed about this. The challenge we have is we want to walk in humility. What does that mean? For me as a pastor, it doesn't matter what my perspective is right now with what I'm going to say. 
is that I have to believe the best that the people that have this perspective, my right hand, your left as you look at me, will see that they have this perspective and I have to believe that by faith they are praying, seeking the Lord and trusting the information they're gathering. I'm not always convinced they're correct, not always convinced they're wrong. I'm just saying by faith I have to do it. I have to humble myself because my view isn't correct. The other side, I have to look at these people and say the same thing, is that they have made decisions by faith. They're trusting God. They're reading the scriptures, just like both groups, and they're making a decision. It's my job as a pastor to believe and trust that both people are pursuing God by faith. So it's not for me to try to move one person to the other. Now here's the challenge, Fox Valley Church. We all have to walk in this posture of humility. You and your perspective may not be the correct one or the right one, or it may not even be on the spectrum of right or wrong. It may be just we look at these things so differently, and we have to trust that our body, as we call everybody to walk by faith, to trust that God is at work, and that takes humility. So I just want to lay those out. These are some of the complicating factors as we go forward. Uh, we're going to continue to pray. And by the way, let me just say this. The elders haven't always agreed on these. We have a nice blend of elders looking at it from various perspectives, but we come out of our meetings humbled and trusting each other as brothers that we're all seeking the Lord, seeking to hear His voice over all the clamor of other voices and leading Fox Valley Church by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit, living out faith, in faith, because faith pleases God. So let's continue to pray for Fox Valley Church. Let's pray for everybody that's tested positive, everybody that has symptoms. Let's continue to pray for our community as we did last week. In fact, let's take a moment right now, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that you speak louder than all the other clamoring voices. And right now, we pray for people to be healed completely. We praise you, God, that these symptoms are so minimal that the reports we're getting is that they are on the slighter side of the scale. And God, we don't take that for granted. You don't owe us anything. You are God. But you have blessed us, and we thank you for that. Help us to be people that are humble and walking in faith. And so, God, we ask not only that people in Fox Valley would be healed, but thank you for the community, we pray for anybody there that is suffering, that you would heal them, strengthen them, show your power, that they might see the glory, the majesty, the greatness of Jesus Christ. And God, I just want to say thank you for the health department. Thank you for their care. Thank you for the conversations I had this week, that all of these things working together serve Fox Valley Church well. And now, God, as we study your word, we pray that you would speak again loudly into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're in this book of Revelation, and just so that we kind of get back into the frame of mind of what's happening, is remember the book of Revelation was written about 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul or John, the Apostle John, wrote Revelation, and as he was writing it, there's some dynamics happening in the Roman Empire. And some of the dynamics are like this. 
First of all, there's the Roman Empire, all of its power, all of its glory, all of its grandeur, and they were trying to squeeze people into a mold. And that was happening with the churches. There was sometimes persecution, sometimes pressure, but it was coming from societal pressures. It was coming from economic pressures. One example is some people in the Roman Empire, if they profess to be believers, the guilds, the, the working people, the guilds here, were sometimes ostracizing or pushing believers out because they weren't in line with what the culture was saying and what they wanted. Now that was a whole pressure and John is writing about that. There's another pressure that's taking place and that was the religious pressure. Now we don't have it in the same way that they had it in the first century, but by 60 years after the resurrection, in the synagogues, there were some tensions there was a growing tension, there was more resistance, and the Christians felt some of the persecution against the Jewish leaders. So all of this is happening, and John was writing not just about future events. He wasn't just writing about the last three years or the last seven years of uh, time. It's in there. There's prophetic elements, but he was writing for believers living in a time that I just described. And of course, we have the same kinds of pressures, right? We have societal pressures, we have cultural pressures, we have political pressures, and then we have some religious pressures. Even in the church community, sometimes there's pressure to behave and belong in a certain way. And so we're feeling that, and John is writing into our situation as well. Why? Because it's the transcendent word of God speaking truth into our lives. Now, these people needed hope, they needed encouragement, and they needed to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. There was so much compromise going on, and God wants the same thing for us. He wants us to persevere in our faith, and we're going to see that today. He wants us to stay steadfast. He wants us filled with hope. He wants us trusting him, and he does not want us to compromise. So all of this is taking place. Well, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. We are going to do some texting today. So you might want to get your phone out and be ready to send in some texts. There will be numbers uh, on the screen where you can follow along. I will be, as I said, in Revelation chapter 13. And we'll look at one other section as well. If you have your device or you have a scripture you can open up to, I want to encourage you to do this. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter profound or proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to encourage them 
and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. I'm sorry, I misread that. Conquer them, not encourage them. Verse 8, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Well, let's study, let's dig in a little bit deeper. I'm going to change mics real quickly here because I don't want the distraction with what's happening. So the first thing that I'd like to say this morning as we, as we look at these verses is that the beast now strengthens the war against God's people. Last week, we, the last couple of weeks, we talked about this dragon. Now we've got this beast, and he is strengthening this war against God's people. Now what we're going to see is that there's certainly an end-time focus. Remember, the book of Revelation has several kinds of literature in it, and one of them is apocalyptic, which is a form of prophetic. So there is a sense in which John is looking to the final days of the final days. But it's not only that, as you'll see, because this becomes really, really important as we look at what the Scripture says. Now, as we read this, as we look at this in uh, Revelation chapter 13, we get this amazing picture, and I don't want anyone to miss it. It's, it's full of drama, and, and you can't deny what is happening. There's the dragon, right? I got to almost stand up as I talk about this. There's a dragon, and he's standing on the edge of the sea, and as you remember last time, I mentioned that the sea is often a symbol, a picture, this expression of evil. So the dragon is standing on the edge of the shore, the sea, and he's looking out on all the evil that is in the world. And then we get a picture. We get a picture of this beast. Now, can you imagine as, he, as he's looking out, right, the, the dragon stood, and, and he's like calling this beast forward. He's calling this personage forward out of the sea of evil to become a co-worker with him, to, to come alongside his side. And I want to hold back a little bit because next week we're going to find that there's another beast and the dragon is using both of these uh, to further his work. So the dragon's standing there and he says, uh, I saw this beast coming out of the sea. John's talking as well. He says, and it had, and all of a sudden you begin to see these horns coming up out of the water. And you can imagine like the feel Start thinking about it. This is where God wants us to use our imagination. He wants us to get visual pictures of what this was like. And as these horns are emerging, right? John's got this vision, and he sees these horns. And we're going to see what John feels, because he's feeling the same thing you're feeling. <laughs> he's shocked. He's astonished. He's horrified. He's in this awestruck wonder. And so this, this beast is coming out, and he sees these horns. And then it's, it's such a contorted, grotesque, figure. He's got seven heads, but later on we find out even though he's got seven heads, he's got one mouth. And of course, this is all symbolic, and he's trying to describe this thing. And then, and, and then he begins to see not only these heads, but this beast is coming up out of the water, and it's got these crowns, but they're not on the heads, they're on the horns. And it's like, this is really odd. 
and fully this this beast is coming out and he's trying to describe it and he says this beast he says it resembled in verse 2 a leopard and then it resembled a bear and then it resembled a lion and it's not that it was this it's that it resembled this it it had features of it all of it showing that this was a monstrous personage coming out of the sea of evil that was going to work with the dragon to bring down God's kingdom and God's people, which means this beast is going to seek to drag down God's people, meaning you and me today. So as we look at this, right, this, this is what's going on. And so we ask the question, like, who is this beast? Now, part of the reason John did this uh, description is or what he described here comes out of Daniel chapter 7 right in Daniel 7 you get these four empires and they're described with the same kind of animals here except in Daniel 7 it's very clear they represent empires it's not so clear here in the passage that they're talking about empires in fact there's some evidence I think more clearly that he's talking about a personage in the beast and that he's trying to describe, but recognizing that what Daniel wrote, the great prophet Daniel in chapter 7, is that there's going to be a fourth kingdom. He calls it later on a little horn that, that is going to be part of there. And this little horn is going to have power. Well, that little horn is the beast that we're reading about here. It's this hideous, fiercely evil beast, the fourth empire that, Daniel's writing about and that we'll see here. Now the beast of the sea, as we read here, gets his power clearly from the dragon. It actually says that, right? It, it tells us that the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Very reminiscent, isn't it, of what the dragon, which we now know from chapter 12, was the serpent, was the devil. And he himself wanted to entice Jesus he says, I'll share my power with you, Jesus. I'll share my authority. I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. But here he is doing it with this beast. And then we get even a further parody. Let me just call it an imitation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that what it says in verse 3? One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound had been healed. So here we get the devil mocking the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's mocking it. He's ridiculing it. He's trying to diminish the beauty and the power of this. Now, I know I'm saying a lot quickly, and time is pressed on us uh, this morning a little bit, but let me just say, if you have questions, feel free to text these in, maybe about chapter 12 last week or a little bit more this week. But we begin to see that this beast uh, gets his power from the dragon. And we get to see this parody, this imitation that is mocking or ridiculing the person of Jesus Christ. But then we get to the verse 4, and it says, who is like this beast? Who is it? Like, what, what is this beast? And, of course, you're asking it too, and that's what John was doing. And what we find in the Bible, remember I've used the phrase every week dwell in scripture it's one of the reasons i love what's going to be happening for the women's sojourn is made it is committed to the women dwelling in scripture 
just dwelling. Let the Word of God speak. It's powerful. It's sharp, and it will divide the very issues in our hearts so that we can be set apart to God. And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to dwell in Scripture. Well, some of us are saying, who is this beast? Well, John was asking the same question. So what I'd like to do is show you how it gets answered. So join with me. Just go a couple chapters to chapter 17. Chapter 17. And I want to read a little bit of chapter 17 of how we understand the beast. It says in verse 1, chapter 17, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, the me is John, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. Now, sometimes you say, what are the many waters? Well, if you jump down to verse 15, you'll find out who the many waters are. It's the prostitute, it's the people, multitude, nations, and languages. So the many waters are representing people. Going back to verse 2, with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Notice again, we get the same description. Verse 4, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Verse 5, the name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw, he was, he was greatly, I was greatly astonished. Verse 7, then the angel said, why are you astonished? In other words, why are you awestruck? Why are you horrified? Why are you like all this range of feelings that he's getting? I will explain to you, John, the mystery of the woman and the beast. She rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. And I say, no kidding. <laughs> so we read this, and let me uh, go a little bit further in, into this so that we can uh, grab hold of this. And I'll try and do this holding a mic, holding an iPad, and moving into John chapter or uh, Revelation chapter 17. Now, what I'd like to do is dive in around verse 5. And so what we begin to see here, uh, very simply, 
is that the name written on this woman's forehead was a mystery. Now, a mystery in the New Testament is something that was previously hidden but is now being disclosed. So what John is wanting us to know as he writes this is that he is revealing a mystery that was previously disclosed, probably thinking a little bit about Daniel chapter 7. And on her forehead is written Babylon the Great. Now, Babylon is another name for the Roman Empire. And so we're going to see, as the as, uh, angel explains this in the passage we haven't quite read yet, is that Rome is the Babylon the Great. And so as John was writing, the Roman Empire was powerful, as I mentioned at the beginning of my uh, remarks at the introduction, so that we could begin to see that there were pressures in this this Roman Empire, and then he uses the phrase, the mother of prostitutes, just another way to describe Rome. Now, when we have this idea of a mother, it becomes really clear that something is happening here of reproduction, right? That's why we talk about a mother. Well, what's happening is that the evils are being reproduced, that they're going to be characteristic of not only the Roman Empire, but other nations of the world. And of course, that's exactly what we see. And then he goes on, the abominations. Now, prostitution, these abominations, are usually summed up under two things, immorality and idolatry. Two things, immorality and idolatry. I saw the woman, she was drunk with blood. Now, that's just an expression. You can almost grab what that means by feeling it. Here she is, just filled with joy over killing God's people. Now, killing may be literal, but it might also be sidelining them, destroying them, pushing them out of the race, all these different things. And this woman is just drunk with the blood of God's people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus, right? God's people who tell and show the story of Jesus. That's exactly what's going on here. And when I saw her, John says, I was greatly astonished. And that becomes very, very significant, right? Because we're all astonished. We're all perplexed. We're all just amazed at this, this beast. Well, let me make a few more comments as we read this. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? Well, let me tell you, I just saw this vision of this beast coming out of the sea of evil, and I see his horns, I see his head, I see these crowns. You'd be astonished too. And so we all get this feeling because we're reading this beast, and it's so dramatic. He goes on, he says, well, I'm going to explain the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns, right? So we go back and we begin to see that there's a connection here with the dragon who has seven heads and ten horns. Of course, it's reversed. But I want you to see this phrase. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come. You know how we saw the parody of the death and the resurrection or this imitation, this mockery, this ridicule? Well, you got the same thing here because at the beginning of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 4, it says something very, very similar except it's talking about God. It's talking about the one who is the one who was and the one who is yet, or the one who is to come. Talking about God, but it's talking about God's sovereignty over the past, the present, and the future. That's what that phrase means in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. And so this beast now is again mocking God. Well, he's going to its destruction. And that is something we'll see a little deeper in a 
in a moment. And the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written, right? These are people that have pushed away from God. They're on the fringe. They're indifferent to God. Maybe they're aggressively rebelling against God, but the point is, is that they are not written. So John, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they uh, will be astonished when they see the beast, this idea of wonder. And by the way, this word astonished is the same word that's used when people saw Jesus' miracles. Over and over we see in the Gospels, people were astonished at the power of Jesus or the authority of Jesus. Well, people will be astonished by this beast. And then we get that phrase again, the mockery, the ridicule of the true and living God. Well, he says this, it calls for a mind of wisdom, and we all say, amen, no kidding, let's see if we can get some. So let's go a little further and read this in uh, Revelation where the angel now tells us, the seven heads are seven hills. I'm just going to comment real briefly as we go. The seven hills are talking about the seven hills of Rome. But he goes on. Again, we're talking about the Roman Empire. That's how we know it, the seven hills. Uh, Rome was sometimes referred to that, which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. So now we get this picture of kings. But then he says, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. Well, five plus one plus one makes seven, but when he does come, he must remain for a short time, only a little while. But then he goes, but the beast who once was, now is, boy, the mockery again, is an eighth king. That is what's significant. So let me just pause for a moment. When I read this phrase, five have fallen, one is, and the other is yet to come. I read broadly. I read about all these different scholars, theologians. There's so many different views of who these are. I don't think they matter as much. And let me just be candid. I don't know who they are. Some people try to list the emperors of the Roman Empire, and they say this one and this one. Here's number five. Here's number six, number seven. I don't know because everyone's list is a little different. So I become really skeptical. But what is important, even if I can't name all of those, is that this beast is the eighth king. He's the little horn of Daniel 7. So he belongs to the seven is going to his destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings. So now we have another group of kingdoms that have not yet received a kingdom, but will do so for a short time. One hour just as an expression to say for a very short time, receive authority as king along with the beast. So we begin to see what John is saying here is that it's all about this eighth king. That's who the beast is. That's the mystery that is now being revealed. Let me just go a little further. They have one purpose, that is these 10 kings and the beast, and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because Jesus, our lamb, he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. There's no one greater. There's no one more powerful. There's no one with more authority. And so that should encourage us. And with him, he'll be called chosen and faithful followers. So that begins to lay out the picture. Now, if we could just go back to Revelation chapter 13. Oh, no, before we go there, let me just say a little bit more about the beast. This is really important because sometimes we say, well, do the other biblical authors say anything about the beast? Yes. Uh, 
the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. So that day is the day of the return of Christ. So we know that this eighth king, this one that we'll see in just a moment, is the man of lawlessness, is the beast that, Paul, that John's writing about in Revelation, Paul is writing about them to the church at Thessalonica because they were concerned, were they at the end of the end times? And he's saying, no, you're going to know it. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24. He said, don't be confused. You are going to know when we're at the end of the end times. But look what he says. There will be a man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the beast of Revelation chapter 13. The man doomed to destruction. Notice the same kind of language. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. So we can begin to see Paul writing about the same one, the eighth king, the little horn of Daniel, or the beast of Revelation chapter 13. But look what John, the same apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, wrote in 1 John. This is a small epistle right before the book of Revelation. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. He's talking about we are in the end times. The end times began with the coming of Christ. But he says, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. The beast is coming. Even now, look what he says, many antichrists have come. Now here's what I want us to know at Fox Valley Church. As we recognize, as we recognize that there is the antichrist through history, and this is what makes it hard, is there have been other antichrists, plural, false teachers. So if you'll just do this with your hand, as they start out small, they're going to get larger and larger. Just do this with me. They're going to get larger and larger and larger until eventually we get such a large presentation of evil that the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, as Paul used in 2 Thessalonians, is on the scene at the end of end times. Well, let me read one more, 2 John 1, 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there's different kinds of antichrists that are taking place, and we need to be aware of this all taking place in our times. So as we go uh, into Revelation. Let's go back with me to Revelation chapter 13. Some of us get a little scared, a little concerned, a little nervous about where is all this going. I want to just close with Revelation 13. I want to look again at verse 5 to uh, 8. And what I want you to see is something very simple here in verse 5. The beast was given. The beast was given. Now, that should alert you. You could ask yourself, was this given by the dragon, or is there someone else doing the giving? What I want you to see, and here's my second main point, is that God remains solidly in control. Now, how do I know that it's God who has given the beast a mouth? to utter blasphemous words and to exercise authority. The reason I know that is because of the phrase, 
for 42 months. We saw in chapter 12 that there's three expressions, 1,260 days, 42 months, or time, times, and half a time. It's all referring to the same thing, and it's all under God's control. Never do we see it outside of God's control. So what we see here is that the beast was given by God, this mouth, to blaspheme. Verse 7, he was given power to wage war against God's holy people. Now, that should be shocking to us, right? We're like, what is God doing? Well, we see God doing this once in a while. We saw it in the book of Job. God gave permission. He allowed the devil some latitude with one of his precious saints, Job. We see it in the Old Testament where God allows certain things to happen, and we see it here. And this is why we, as the people of God, living in the times that we are, we need to be strong and firm in the faith. He goes on and it says, at the end of verse 7, it was given authority, the beast was given authority. Again, three times we see under the sovereignty of God is that God is allowing this beast. Even though the dragon thinks it's all his power, his authority, God is wanting you and me to know today in 2021 that he has all control, solid control of everything that happens. Now let's go to verse 9 very quickly. God's people must patiently endure. That's my third point. Must patiently endure and remain faithful. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. That's reminiscent of Jesus, isn't it? Over and over he said, people who are listening to God, God's word, people who are dwelling in God's word, meditating upon it, reading it, let them hear. If anyone is to give into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they'll be killed. Because remember, Jesus himself taught, they can't kill the soul. This is all temporary stuff. But then he goes and says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So we need to endure patiently. I want you to know that stuff that's happening in the world, the things that we feel, the things that we see, the lies, the deception, the immorality, the idolatry, the political upheaval, the wars, COVID, all of this stuff, it's all spinning. Just make your hand. It's going to get larger and larger. And Jesus said that. He said it's going to be like birth pains. They start out small, but they start getting larger and larger and larger as the time of birth comes. Just read Matthew 24 and just see how Jesus talked about it. He talks about it the same way that I'm trying to describe here. So we need to remember that we have nothing to fear that God is control. That is why John wrote verses 5 to 8, is so that we can know that God is fully in control. Nothing is spinning out of his control. Really, really important that we see that. There's nothing to fear. Isaiah 41, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. God is present. So if you're living today because of the pandemic or some of the stuff going on in the world with fear, anxiety, God is telling us, do not fear, I am with you. Then he says, do not anxiously look about. And this is where I think we get into trouble. As we start reading things, we start listening to things on the news, we start reading blogs, we listen to podcasts, we got all these people clamoring to get our ear so that they can get to our heart, and it fills us with fear. The solution, the anecdote to this, 
is to dwell in the Word of God. You will see that there is God who is in control and sovereign over all of it. So the first thing I want you to do, I want to keep repeating, dwell in the Scriptures. Just dwell there. Enjoy it. God is rich and powerful, and He wants us to enjoy it. And then the second thing, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, He says, do not be anxious, but in everything. Don't be anxious. Don't be filled with fear. Don't allow all the stuff going on in the environment, in the world, to fill you with anxiety or fear. But he says this, do not be fearful, but instead let your requests be made known to God. Tell God about what's going on in your heart. And he says this, he says, and the peace of God will guard your heart. What a beautiful picture. When we talk to God in prayer as we dwell in Scripture, God will guard our hearts. And he says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's my hope for Fox Valley Church. I want us to walk in the power of God's word, to recognize that the Bible is laying it out in prophetic scripture, that we don't need to know every detail, but we can see that things are going to grow, things are going to increasingly become more evil, that eventually a man of lawlessness will show up. The beast, as it's described here, will show up. And then we know the end is there. And Jesus tells us the same thing as well. Well, hey, I said there was going to be some texting. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad to come up. He's going to help me with this and engage. And uh, you can send in text even as we talk now. And I know in light of my opening remarks about COVID, we're a little long. But let's go ahead and see where some of these uh, texts might take us today. Yeah, absolutely. So... I just want to preface, I don't think I'm going to be very much help to you. So, <laughs> you know, end time questions are just hard. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I got a couple already pulled up here that people sent earlier, but feel free uh, to, to send in some more if you'd like. Uh, one question, you know, I've never heard this question before in my life. And they said, why does the beast only have 42 months to do authority? Kind of questioning the length of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Remember I said that uh, this goes back to uh, Elijah and the experience prior to Mount uh, Carmel is that there was a time of drought. And so what we're seeing is it's a time of testing, it's a time of perseverance, and I think some people try to hold, right, everybody does this in in prophetic and especially apocalyptic, is they say, well, we want to take it literally. But everybody takes some things literally and some things symbolically, and then sometimes they take it symbolically when it's convenient for them and literally when it's not, you know, right? So I think that it is a season of time that God is saying that he's controlling it. That's why the 42 months, the 1260 days, the time, times, and half a time is under God's control, and he can let it go. It may be exactly three and a half years. My suspicion is that it's not. It's a season of time. Now, maybe... It's both. Why couldn't it be at the end of the end times, right, when we get right back to when the man of lawlessness is going to show up? Maybe it is three and a half years. But there's no reason that we have to conclude that. But we should see that right now we're in seasons of testing. Are we going to compromise with, in this case, Babylon, right, the, the, the mother of prostitution with idolatry and immorality? Okay, here's, here's a question. 
then maybe it's not significant. And if it's not, let's not even touch on it. You know, some people have questions about, is it seven years? Is it three and a half years? Is there something else that happens the first three and a half years, the second three and a half years? Is that relevant at all to you? Well, of course it's relevant because there's different scriptures in Daniel that, that force us to think about the 70th week and, and how to look at that. I think what happens, though, is that we try to put together a paradigm, a picture, that it has to be this way, and then we shove everything into it. And not everything fits so nicely. And I think my bigger concern with this is that the book of Revelation was written to people like us, for us to live now. Not for us to be sitting there thinking, are we in the final, final days? Sure. Whether it's seven years, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of turmoil, and then people talk about this rapture thing out of 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, certainly the word rapture is used, but we try to force it all into this, and I don't find that a helpful paradigm. That's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah, we like to understand it and make sense of everything, right? right. And maybe that's actually and not I, God's And I hope people intent. heard, I'm willing and humble enough to say, <laughs> I don't know who the five kings are, plus one, plus one. But I do know that the Bible talks about that eighth king as the beast. Yeah. Okay, how about this one? Is the book of Revelation based on a dream or dreams that the apostle John had? Well, certainly he's getting visions. Yeah, so maybe there's a little discrepancy, vision versus dream. Yeah, and I'm not sure what they also mean by based on, so I want to be a little bit careful. Certainly, we're told over and over that he's getting visions. We get code phrases like, I'm going to show you this. Well, how did the angel show John? Well, he showed him probably in a vision. Yeah. Now, what I want to be careful of is even as John, in his mind and in his eyes' mind, saw these things, we need to never forget that there is another author, God, who is telling all this. So you have the human author, John, and God is using John, his personality, his temperament, all these things, but God is superintending it. God is guarding it, but we need to read Revelation as a word from God, even as we try to read it historically and literally. I think... This, this is free. I'm not going to charge anybody for this. Some of the problems we have in interpretation today is we're still using tools of the world. When the world does not believe that there is a God speaking, then of course all we're left with are the tools of the world, the literal historical interpretation. And so we got to make it fit with grammar. We got to make it fit with historical context. Now, I'm not for a moment discounting that. But what I am saying is those world tools do not include a sovereign God who speaks and who may be saying some things a little differently than we want to fit into the literal historical context. And I could say more on that, but I probably said too much already. Okay, here's. An interesting question. Why is there different kinds of antichrist? Do you think maybe they're talking about like the, the beast and the yeah, little yeah, horn yeah. and yeah. some of and these things? Like, and, and like what John wrote in 1 John chapter 2. Now, why is that? Well, because there's always imitation and mockery, uh, uh, parodies. So there's speculation, but let me 
speculate with you, this is always fun to do, right, is some people would say that uh, Hitler was an antichrist, right? Some people try to say other things are antichrist. I, I think we need to be careful when we label these things, but clearly John is saying that there are many antichrists. So they're kind of paving the way, and that's why the spiral gets bigger. Try this, Brad, with me. Just, just do this with your hand. No, your other hand, man. Okay. Uh, right, but it's got to get bigger, right? Is As we get closer and closer to the end of end times, there will be these little manifestations of evil busting out, and then they might go away, and things won't look so bad, and then they're going to bust out again, and then they'll go away. But sure. eventually, wow. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. I hope that answered that person's questions. If not, shoot in our text quickly. Yeah. How about yeah. one or two more, and then we might have to wrap it here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know, you know, as I'm pulling up the next question, I know I've heard some of this from people, you know, as, as COVID's happened in the past year, right? You know, people are like, hey, there's some more earthquakes happening around the world. Is this the time? And it's always this tension of, like, looking out for the things and the signs, but yet not running ahead of ourselves because Jesus says the angels don't even know the time, right? Yeah, and doesn't that create a little bit of an urgency or an energy or excitement? Yeah, the times we live. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yep. And I think that that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted us to live with a sense of urgency so that we don't sit back on our laurels and stop telling and showing. I got the perfect last question. Okay. That, that ties in beautifully to what you just said. I'm so glad today. you're up here. This really helps. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. How do we balance the message of standing for our faith, speaking truth and love, and in parentheses they put putting on the full armor, which is a picture of going into battle, versus patiently enduring, which seems more passive? Let me say it again. How do we balance standing for our faith and speaking truth and love, putting on the armor of God versus patiently enduring? That, that's a, a great question, and I think we get a little insight, a little insight from Jesus because the apostles were really concerned. When you read the Gospel of John, chapter 13 to 18, so really 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the apostles are getting the sense Jesus is leaving them. And he said, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute yeah. you. And Jesus said some very significant things. He said that he was going to send another comforter, which means he's the first comforter. So he's saying, I'm going to send another one. And he, now we know as the Holy Spirit, will lead us into truth. He will tell you what to say. I think... You know, Pastor Brad, I, I think that what God wants from us when people ask a question like that is they want a clear-cut answer, and they want an answer that fits in every situation. That's not how God ever calls us to live. God always calls us to live by faith, relying on him to give us the answer. So what Jesus was telling his disciples was you rely on this comforter I'm sending, and he will lead you into truth. He will tell you what to speak. And I think as people of God, we need to have confidence that God will give us what we need in those moments. Now, let me tell you one quick story that Jesus, uh, that's recorded about Jesus. Remember after the resurrection, and they're on the seashore, they're in, near the Sea of Galilee, and there's a powerful moment there where Peter is 
concerned about what kind of death he's going to have. And God, or Jesus, is telling Peter about John that John is going to live. And then Peter is like, well, what about me? And Jesus says something like this. He says, don't worry about John. <laughs> In other words, like, there's another insight. You follow me. You trust me. And, and that, that was Jesus' point. And I think that's his point to all of us, is that we are going to find ourselves in situations. Notice that in what we read in uh, Revelation chapter 13, it said that we need wisdom. Well, where do we get wisdom? By dwelling in the word of God. Is that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, how do we know this God? By dwelling in scripture. And so I, I think what I want for Fox Valley Church is not to worry about what do I say in every situation? Do I go to this wedding? Do I not go to this wedding? Do I support my brother who's struggling with this? Or do I come alongside my sister? I think God is leading his people powerfully to handle all the complex situations. But we're not gonna have that wisdom if we're not dwelling in the word and if we're not walking by faith. Well, hey, I know there's more I could say about that, but let me uh, just say again to our online community, thank you so much for tuning in. I know we went a little longer today, but this is a great book. Next week, we'll be looking at another beast. We're going to look at the false trinity that is, again, a parody of the true trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we're going to pick up with what God is doing and how this impacts the way we live today. So let me go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that was so sweet. Thank you for the interaction with uh, the women's sojourn and all that's going to be happening this summer. It's so exciting, God. And now as we close after studying your word, would you bless your people, encourage them, encourage them with the hope that you, God, will defeat the dragon. The man of lawlessness will be destroyed. The second beast will be destroyed. And there is only going to be one king and one Lord and that's Jesus Christ. And so let us see him as the conquering one as we study this book that fills our hearts with hope. Bless your people, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Remember, as we close out today, that it's Jesus that changes everything.